2: and build hope. Ali Tagva, editor-in-chief for the Post-Millennial and the Nectarine, welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts. Thank you for having me, Jesse. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Allie, on the show today, we will talk about the fact that the girl who threw the chair off the condo balcony has been identified. Her name is Justin Trudeau, and the chair that she threw is Jody wilson Raybo. and the bus on the highway that the chair was thrown underneath is SNC-Lavalin, and I am not going to be able to make this joke work. I think the sentiment was great. There's something there. It just needs more work. What else could we possibly talk about, Allie, today than this amazing scandal, delicious scandal that is engulfing Justin Trudeau? First, you and I are going to talk about how it is. played playing out in the media and then later we will talk about whether or not people will actually give a shit and I hope you will disagree with me about something or other because I don't agree with 90% of the stuff you publish I have been off work for a week and I'm itching for a fight
0: oh great to hear well I think it's about the same our side doesn't believe in 90% of stuff you publish but some
2: friendly rivalry never hurts all right well we'll recheck on the friendly part This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Nicole DeWolf, Travis Dillman, Joy Hancher, Darren Osadchuk, Julia Fenn, Craig Bannard, Stephen Finnegan, and Jeff Jamison.
1: Hi, my name is Jeff Jamison. I'm a small business owner and entrepreneur in Calgary, Alberta. I support Canada Land because I believe in a balanced diet. Obviously, living in Alberta, I get a lot of right-wing media, and the rest of the world gives me a lot of left-wing media, and I think that you fall somewhere in the center, and you're pretty unbiased. And I appreciate that about Catalan and I'll continue to support.
2: Ali, this episode is also brought to everybody by a shrimp po'boy, with remoulade and purple cabbage coleslaw. Do
0: you like a good po'boy? I actually do. I've had a few in Montreal. There's a small bar that does uh, Filipino food and some Filipino drinks and uh, they're pretty fantastic.
2: A Filipino po' boy, I was hoping we were gonna disagree about something, but who could disagree about the deliciousness of a shrimp po' boy? But it's not a food I've ever prepared for myself, like to actually bread and fry up shrimp at home and put it into a baguette and make a sandwich, and then also make a remoulade and a purple cabbage slaw. It is something that I would only do if people sent me those ingredients to my doorstep, and that's what HelloFresh does, and they are one of our sponsors today. Your goals, Ali, for 2019 might include cooking at home more, and those goals are easier because of HelloFresh. They make conquering the kitchen in 2019 a reality with deliciously easy recipes. They do all the planning, shopping, and prepping for you so that you can focus on enjoying the new year and a healthier you. Get top-rated seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door every week so you can enjoy cooking and sticking to your goals. They are very focused on this 2019 goal thing. My personal experience with them is not really goal-oriented. It's just about cooking food easily and delicious food, and I can attest to that. So get 50% off of your first box of HelloFresh. Visit hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand50. And enter Canadaland50. That's a better deal than you'll find on their website without the Canadaland URL. So go to HelloFresh.ca slash Canadaland50, promo code Canadaland50. Right. So this is like you run a couple of conservative news sites. It was just a delicious I enjoy this uh, without having any partisan affiliation, but you must be just like having a hell of a week. Is this a, is this a good scandal for you?
0: I mean, I come at it from my I do have NDP roots and I do run some center right sites. Um, so I kind of got to enjoy it from both sides of the aisle. I got to see Andrew Scheer really kicking it into gear and challenging the prime minister and at the same time, I think the Singh team has finally gotten some good media. It looks like they're finally getting some confidence and he's actually talking out. And it's a topic where he can, you know, put his foot down and get supporters. So on both sides of the aisle, it's been fantastic. And I mean, in terms of clicks, it's like every article we've published in the last weekend has been 20,000 plus hits easily. Mm. So it's, it's been, it's been quite a gift given to most <laughs> of the media companies.
2: I want to talk about the media coverage, the politics. I mean, the politics, let's talk about the optics later. I don't know about the politics, but we can talk about how it looks. But right now, I want to talk about how it's been covered. And Ali, like, sometimes I, I flatter myself. Sometimes? Sometimes. Sometimes I think, you know what? It's better than it was five years ago when I started. Like, there's more of a willingness for the media in Canada to talk about itself. And there's more of a willingness to give credit to each other. And maybe I've had something to do with that. Maybe I have somehow improved the scene. And then shit like this happens, and we just revert to our most disgusting tendencies. And this story, can I count the ways that the media has, has just kind of grossed me out through this SNC-Lavalin fiasco? Oh, I, I would love to hear it. All right. I mean, first of all, this just this, like, this was a bombshell that was broken by the Globe and Mail, okay? It was broken by Robert Fife and Stephen Chase and Sean Fine at the Globe and Mail. This is uncontested, but it is, like, unacknowledged in a lot of coverage. Mm-hmm. Andrew Coyne gets, on like, he's at his best when he just, with this, the rule of law, you cannot overstate the importance. This is so important, goddammit. And nowhere in this pomposity does he just acknowledge where the story came from. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm not looking to cape for the Globe and Mail. It's just like, come on, come on. And that's not just him. I mean, it's it's gotten better as this is like picked up and, and, and moved along. But it's still this old Canada where we pretend that other news organizations don't exist. That's my first problem.
0: That is a serious problem. And I think... I think it comes from perhaps using the Canadian press system, where so many news organizations are using the same wire and basically taking credit for, you know, the same pieces of writing. Most readers never realize that that is going on, that if you go onto the National Post or, you know, Toronto Star or whatever, 75% of their content, maybe less, will be the word for word exact same thing. So I think when you're kind of in that mentality of like, oh, it's Canadian press, whatever, I don't need to source them, even
2: when you should... It kind of just stays with you even for these bigger, you know, breaks. What I want and where I see my responsibility is to try to explain to people how a story like this comes to be reported. Mm -hmm. You know, a story that is sourced by anonymous government sources Was it Jody Wilson-Raybaud herself or her people? I know that reporters can't tell me who their anonymous sources are, but I think that the public, you know, I've I've been reading a lot of stuff where people are like defending Trudeau and saying, this is a one source, anonymous source. It's not a one source story. People keep saying that. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's an anonymous source, it's not an anonymous source either. It's a confidential source. There's such a lack of media literacy amongst people that makes it very easy to throw out stories like this. I think that we've now seen that this story is good. But if ever there was a time, you know, Globe and Mail has their media literacy initiative. Toronto has their media literacy initiative. If ever there was a time to kind of just level with the public and say, here's how a story like this finds its way into your consciousness, now would be the time. But we have been having a hell of a time getting anybody to come on the show for Monday show where we want to explore that. Mm-hmm. Like, rejection after rejection. And it's incredible. Like, the new producer for Canada Land is uh, Kasia Mihailovich. She's uh, now officially the producer. Welcome. She's wonderful. She used to work for on the media, and so now she's chasing for us. And she's going to all these Canadian political journalists, saying like, "Can you come and talk about this Globe and Mail scoop, and not just this Globe and Mail scoop, but how scoops like this get reported, what the process is in Ottawa?" And they're saying to her like, she's just mostly getting no's mm-hmm. But one person, I'm not going to embarrass them. One person said, "This is why I'm not going to come on your show, because they work for a rival newsroom, and they say I can't win if I come on the show." and act like the Globe and Mail did a good job, then I'm saying that we fucked up and that we got scooped. And if I come on and say that they did a bad job, then it seems like sour grapes. And that's the rationale they give. So Cassius says to me, in all of my time, Jesse... Chasing for on the media, no one has ever given me that excuse in the States. Like, look at the BuzzFeed scoop, mm-hmm. right? Nobody has been shy about weighing in on whether BuzzFeed did a good job or a bad job or, or getting into that process. And, and though BuzzFeed can't talk too much about the process, everybody else is quite free to. And that's like, you know, dominated airwaves since that story broke, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is a Canadian thing that we just can't seem to get past.
0: I think the size of the market matters just because Canada is a very small country. And when you look in the States, Even in the States, which is 10 times our population, there's only really one major subscription-based product that's doing investigative news that is massively growing, and that's sort of like the New York Times. In Canada, that might be the Globe and Mail. It could be another news organization, but I don't know if, A, you could have two. I also don't know if you can even have one. So maybe they are rightfully worried about that. We do
2: have one. It's the New York Times. They've surpassed the Globe and Mail in, in paid subscription in Canada. I actually didn't know that. That's a sign of how bad you're competing. I mean, the numbers aren't public, but the, the napkin math suggests they're doing better digital subscriptions here than, than the Canadian newspaper. The size of it is an issue for sure, Ali. Uh, the size of it, I think, is more to do with just the community than like the, the sense of competitiveness, like whatever. Like If you still think that you can't big up the competition, like your reader is getting their news from dozens of sources. You have to accept that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, if you can't, I think this is the most important point here. If you can't find a different opinion or a different view or something of value to add, your existence as an organization may be in doubt, right? Like you need to be different enough from your competition for people to want to listen to you and to actually engage. So I really don't see like at the core level why you wouldn't want to go on every single, you know, show or podcast or whatever, talk about these stories and connect to their base with your ideas.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, there's this kind of like dance that we do here where at first news organizations will like almost ignore a scoop that comes from a rival organization in the hopes that, well, that's not our scoop. So let's not give it any oxygen. But when it becomes clear that this is the story, they jump on it and still are hesitant to give praise or be critical. It's weird. Mm -hmm. But wait, there's more. The other horrible tendency of the Canadian press trying to actually tamp down a big, juicy scandal. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen column after column basically arguing, nothing to see here, folks. SNC-Lavalin, like what, Conrad Yakabuski in The Globe, uh, there's nothing wrong with government trying to uh, get SNC-Lavalin off the hook. Neil MacDonald in the CBC, holy shit. Oh
0: my God, that was Did the worst. Did you read this one? I had to read it three times because the moment, like literally he dropped this. And then two minutes later, it was the Quebec prosecution coming out and saying, wait a minute, They didn't just bribe people in Libya. They might have bribed people in Quebec as well.
2: This is Neil MacDonald for our listeners. This is Neil MacDonald writing in CBC Opinion, just grasping for relevance and trying to make it about him. What's the big deal with bribing people in Libya? I bribed people in Libya. I used to be an important reporter. And you had to bribe people. You had to give them a hundred bucks if you wanted your camera back from customs. Dude, this is hundreds of millions of dollars. They fucking flew in 50 cent to do a private concert for the Gaddafi kid. Okay. And you're absolutely right, Ali. They're bribing people in Bangladesh. They bribed in Canada. Mm-hmm. They, and they have $100,000 in illegal donations uh, to the Liberal Party.
0: 8000 to the Conservatives, though.
2: And 8000 And you got Neil McDonald saying like, what's the big deal? That's just how business is done. But he's not alone. You're in Montreal right now. The French language press is just like, you know, SNC-Lavalin, SNC-Lavalin. You hate us. Yeah. This is because
0: we're Quebec. It's a serious problem. And it, it goes against so much of the stuff we talk about Like in the media and in Canadian society. One of the things that we're super proud about is the fact that our society isn't filled with, well, supposedly isn't filled with bribes left and right. That our political system, as much as we tell the Chinese, isn't filled with, you know, politicians coming in and putting their thumb on the scale. And at this moment, that may not be true. And the fundamental problem here is that Maybe there's bribing happening in Asia, but we have to decide, do we believe that that's something that should happen in Canada if it's, you know, the the rules of the game? And secondly, if we do allow these companies to be corrupt in other countries, you know, they go to Asia where it's the norm, what stops them from bringing that exact same culture back into their company in Canada? You can't suddenly forget, you know, the mechanisms of your business. If you learn that something works well in one
2: country, you might try to do it again in another. Dude, I think you got it backwards. I think you've got it backwards. I think they learn how to do this shit in Canada. This goes back to the Hudson's Bay Company. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about innovation in Canada. It's not about like that we're like technological geniuses. The corporate innovation in Canada is we have mastermind. We are the world leaders in dirty dealings with a friendly government, with a government that exists to serve a company. I think that our like Bombardier, SNC-Lavalin, they are world-class innovators at bribing government, at getting government. To, like They fucking lobbied our government. What was it, 50 or 80 meetings? And they got legislation introduced mm-hmm. after they were found to be guilty of all this shit like they, so then they they're not a construction company they're a bribery company they take that shit on the global market and they've masterminded the techniques by doing it in canada first right and now the world bank has a ban on snc Lavalin. like they are not allowed to build shit in bangladesh and the Trudeau government is like working overtime to make sure that they can, they'll still be able to bid for billions of dollars of contracts here in Canada. I think it started here. This is what we're good at, Allie. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's certainly possible. We are
0: like Americans with a smile in terms of how we operate a lot of things. And maybe we keep talking about this scandal of like, what is the problem here? And I think we do have to decide, like, is the problem that SNC is going around lobbying these people, quote unquote, bribing them? Or is the problem the cover-up, the way the Trudeau government is responding to it? And looking at SNC-Lavalin, I see that it's a company with like serious problems. There is a history with donations to a specific party as well, which means that those problems are political. But it's been also seven years since their last case, right? Even the Bridge Authority stuff that came out yesterday is for stuff that happened before they did all their rebranding, reorganization, so on and so forth. And they're a corporation that does hire a lot of Canadians. So I don't know if, if you know, if Trio came out openly and said, we need this bill, we need to save this company, it's a Canadian company and we're going to do it, if there would have been this kind of backlash. So I really don't know if the focus is on how corrupt necessarily SNC is as much as it is about the cover-up and the post-results of the
2: Globe and Mail report. I don't even know if there is a scandal. I mean, there is one for me. I love this. This is awesome, but I'm still unconvinced that this is going to matter. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help Change Mental Health Care Care. Forever, your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca/Canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Allie, uh, everybody at the Post Millennial listens to Shortcuts every week, right? So you know about Duly Noted. Sure. (laughs) All right. Fine. I'll start. I'm going to Duly Note uh, an episode of Late Night with Seth Meyers. You don't hear that often on this show. I was on vacation when a YouTube clip was shared with me, and uh, it was Seth Meyers stealing my shit. And here's what that sounded like.
1: And were there any times where, like, you were walking in the street of Toronto and, like, you saw something that was so stereotypically Canadian? Yes. Yes, Seth. I was walking down the street <laughs> and I saw a poster <laughs> of Drake canoodling with a moose. And I thought, what could be more Canadian? Yeah. I thought I love Canada? Yeah. These are my people. Yeah. If I wanted an emblem for myself would be I I mean that's great. I mean the maple leaf is great, but I think this would make as good if not a better flag for our neighbors to the north.
2: And he goes on for like another minute or two, Ali. He he actually does the moose's voice. He's showing the cover to the Canada Land Guide to Canada. Drake canoodling with a moose. He loves that shit. He I doesn't love that say shit. where he's from. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, when we were promoting that book, we tried so fucking hard to get on American (laughs) network television, no luck at all. And here we are, it's like three years later almost, and we're on network TV, like late night, Mm -hmm. millions of people are looking at our shit. And like Taylor Schilling says it was a poster she saw when she was, it was never a poster. Mm -hmm. It was never a poster. And then he's got this cutout where it looks like they actually cut out the title of the book and the author's names. And, uh, you know, what can I say? It was
0: just honestly, it was, I mean, I saw the tweet you guys did and it was, it was pretty obvious that it happened.
2: Well, you know what? Like internet ethics, take the shit, but say where you got it from. Don't be a fuck Jerry. Don't be the fat Jew. I'm speaking about an Instagram account there, by the way. That's not an epithet. <laughs> credit your shit. This is a very, very important issue that Seth Myers <laughs> ripped us off, people. And Seth Myers, I know you are listening to Shortcuts as well. Give us credit, man. Give us credit. Duly noted. Ali, what do you have?
0: The story that I found pretty surprising was the coverage of the Alexander Bissonette case versus the Bruce MacArthur charges for both of them.
2: Yeah, this is a change in tone, but yeah, please talk about that.
0: The thing that surprised me was Bruce MacArthur killed eight people throughout maybe 10 years, and I believe he got 25 years with the possibility of parole after that. And then uh, Alexander Bissonette, who killed many and, and injured many, He only got 40 years. Uh, And looking at the media coverage, you had, I think it was a Globe and Mail article that said Bruce MacArthur is pure evil or represents pure evil. And then Alexander Bissonette was just like, person gets 40 years in prison. And it was just surprising to see both of these cases, which honestly are some of the most horrific cases Canada's dealt with in the last maybe 10 years, who knows, to be taken like that and and to just differentiate the two. I would think that both of them are A, pure evil, uh, and B, It's extremely surprising how the public has tried to cover this. So Alexander Bissonnette's parents, for example, released a letter basically saying, uh, we are now bringing in people from all across the world and giving them a second chance. Why should we deprive basically mass murderers of a second chance as well? And that kind of got to me as well, because it made me feel like...
2: missed that. Did they say that?
0: Ugh. They sent that today and it was just like, how are we comparing refugees to people who've literally killed someone? And it kind of shows that maybe we're becoming too prioritized with the idea of rehabilitation and forgetting that prison also does require punishment. Rehabilitation is unbelievably important for a lot of prisoners, a lot of people who are going in and coming out. But someone who is mass murdered, literally eight plus people, or someone who's gone into a, a mosque and started mass shooting, the idea that they deserve rehabilitation, I think is kind of offensive to most of the victims. Because at the end of the day, we're basically saying, yes, eight people lost their lives, but this one person, their life also deserves to be safe. And I, I don't know if that's actually fair. And I actually don't know if most Canadians would genuinely agree with that if it came down to you know, push and shove.
2: All right. To look at the media side of this, I mean, like, first of all, there's a little bit of confusion here. Neither of them were sentenced to 25 years or 40 years. They were both sentenced to life. They both received life sentences what you're arguing is that... The consecutive
0: versus concurrent.
2: Yeah, and the and the fact that Bissonette will be eligible for parole in 40 years, the judge actually had to do like... He actually had to do some weird stuff to get it past 25 to 40. And, and as a result of that, the sentence is likely to be appealed. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the case of MacArthur... Uh, he sentenced to life, parole, possible in 25 years, but he's an old guy, so it probably won't matter. And that way, the sentencing is kind of like airtight. I'm not going to engage with you on whether or not we should be doing the Harper thing of like, you know, eight sentences of 25 years, back to back, no possibility of parole. Sort of a different issue. I do agree with you that the coverage was bizarre. And looking at these two Globe and Mail headlines, which uh, listener John Hissink uh, sent my way for comparison, I agree with you, Ali. Like, look at this. MacArthur sentenced to life in prison for quote unquote pure evil. So here we have a serial killer. We all know his name. His name is mentioned and pure evil is in the headline and it's accurate. He's sentenced to life in prison. And then in the case of Bissonette, mosque shooter given 40 year sentence. First of all, that's not accurate. He was given a life sentence and he's not named, but MacArthur is, because I guess MacArthur has more celebrity status as a serial killer. And if you're going to invoke this pure evil thing, For MacArthur, as you say, Ali, like, what, is Bissonette not pure evil, like murdering people at their place of worship? What Mm -hmm. the fuck? You know, on the the same section of the same issue of The Globe and Mail. Wait,
0: we're allowed to swear on this show?
2: I I should have told you earlier, you've been missing out. (sighs) Yeah, no, this is a great one to bring to our attention, duly noted. I have one last one. Again, the gravitas of what you bring up makes my submission here seem a little bit petty. But uh, have you been following this Jill Abramson thing, her book Merchants of Truth? This is the New York Times editor. Yeah, former executive editor, I believe, of the New York Times.
0: Yeah, and then uh, BuzzFeed called her out for a reporting that she did where the citations and uh, and the word flow was just really poorly done. So like some sections looked like she was plagiarizing and poorly citing people and like it wasn't word for word.
2: And I think I think it was Vice that did the best job of calling her out for plagiarism, and she certainly did plagiarize. And it's interesting because she she like in building her narratives about Vice, she relied on the Ryerson Review of Journalism here in Toronto, which she uh, plagiarized from, and she also took a lot of stuff from us. Canada Land is in the footnotes a bunch of times. I, I I don't think she plagiarized from us, and I think she did give us credit, so no harm, no foul. So you know, it's the kind of thing where like. You know, it's really embarrassing for her. She obviously fucked up bad. And, you know, accidents happen, sure. But when you're plagiarizing in service of trying to smack talk these shitty journalists, like like I know this firsthand, if you're pointing the finger at journalists, your journalism better be good because they're going to rip you to shreds if you get anything wrong. And she got a lot wrong. Mm-hmm. What I wanted to duly note was something kind of ignored in the media firestorm. She was on uh, CNN has a media uh, critic, media reporter, Brian Stelter, and she was kind of defending herself. She says, no, it's it's mistakes were made, but it's not technically plagiarism. I'm going to fix it in the ebook in the next version, blah, 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 blah. But then she said something that that really caught my attention. She said, you know, Vice, who now are pointing out all of these errors I Mm -hmm. made about their staff and about their history and all these little, you know, the color of the shoes of their host. They had my manuscript for a long, long time because I wanted them to have a chance to let me know if I got anything wrong. And they were very difficult to reach. They, were, they didn't get return my emails. And I later learned, said Jill Abramson on CNN, that they were running an oppo campaign and they were calling other people in the book, essentially trying to strategize a way to discredit the book. And this is kind of a maneuver that I've always thought was possible, but uh, I'm unaware of it playing out, you know, if, if in fact this is true.
0: I didn't even think that you could do that.
2: Well, here's how you do it. Like, you ask somebody, like, I'm writing about you. Did I get anything wrong? Here's what I wrote. And they see that you got something wrong. And they say, you know what, Jill Abrams, like, why should we help her make a factual book? It's still going to make us look like shit Mm -hmm. if we correct all of her errors. Why don't we let her publish a flawed book? And then we can rip her book to shreds on the basis of how flawed it is, if that is in fact what happened. And what makes this really interesting to me is that I am aware that when it comes to their PR flacks, Vice doesn't hire smiley spokespeople. They hire political war room strategists like real sharks who are very well versed in dirty tricks. And I kind of feel like this is a thread of the story that got dropped too soon. And I wanted to duly note it. Duly noted. All right, Allie, will this scandal take... Will it stick to Trudeau? Will it matter?
0: I mean, if it doesn't, he deserves an award and uh, definitely gets
2: certified as a legend in my books. Here's why it won't. I'll tell you why it won't. But I'll tell you why it will. If it doesn't take, if it doesn't matter, the reason will be because people don't give a shit about corporate crime in Canada. This is what Archie Mann is trying to tell everybody on Canada Lang Commons uh, Corruption in Canada, this amazing series he's doing for us. This is the way it's been since Olive in Canada. And it's like it's very hard to get Canadians to care about this stuff. And Ali, and this is where we may finally have some friction between your viewpoint and mine, the conservatives are not exactly in a position to say, vote us in because we don't do crony capitalism. Canadians, and I'm just talking about the Canadians who are actually paying attention, have accepted that this is a nation of crony capitalism. So if you're telling me that the Trudeau administration was lobbying Jody Wilson-Raybaud to lay off SNC-Lavalin after their 50 lobbyist meetings and after introducing legislation, duh, it's not a scandal if I'm not surprised. Mm -hmm. It's not a scandal if it's business as usual in Canada. Like, I fail to see how that alone, like, there is no sense of outrage in Canada based on people uh, saying, oh, wow, that was an interference. Because they would be smart enough, like, you know, and you already see their story. We didn't direct her to do it. We had a vigorous debate about this. And we presented her with our point of view. And then when she didn't uh, accept our point of view, we threw her under the bus. But that's just the way it works here, right? I don't know if I... I agree with part of it. And that's that I'm not sure Canadians
0: actually care about crony capitalism and, and helping out the rich. Realistically, if you're a big enough company, you have enough people employed that you're actually affecting a lot of lives. And I think Canadians will end up thinking about that more than anything. But on the topic of the Conservatives being in a better position or not, I think they are. And it's again, it comes back to the fact that perhaps people don't care. If people don't care, the Prime Minister would openly, through the Canada Gazette, make the directive. He would say, X, Y, Z, this is what is going to happen. And I think the Conservatives would be so nonchalant about doing this that they might actually use the Canada Gazette. And if the directive comes through the Canada Gazette, and it's done through the proper steps the prime minister has the capacity to do that it is his rights it's his priorities he can do that the fundamental problem has been a Jody Wilson-Raybould has not been allowed to speak and that says a lot by itself the fact that she resigned from his cabinet also shows that like this may be a personal thing that is developing and i think you know a conservative may not be able to beat Justin Trudeau but the destruction of the liberal base and infighting there that could certainly do it And if the indigenous base, if the more female portion of the base finds that these things are problematic, especially the tone the prime minister took and and him repeatedly referring to Jody Wilson Ray Bolt as Jody, while the male ministers were referred to by their full names in his most recent announcement. I think those things are the things that are going to affect.
2: I, ah, uh, shit, Ali, I agree with you. My God, what the hell's <laughs> going on? And the candidate is at the official voice, the newspaper of the government, or through his own Twitter account, through his own messaging, he could just get in front of it like that. But I, ah, uh, I agree with you. This <laughs> is what could actually hurt him. And I'm going to play the clip right now.
0: I am both surprised and disappointed by her decision to step down. And let me tell you why. This resignation is not consistent with conversations I had with Jody a few weeks ago when I asked her to serve as Canada's Minister for Veterans Affairs and Associate Minister of National Defense. nor is it consistent with the conversations we've had lately. If anyone felt differently, they had an obligation to raise that with me. No one, including Jody, did that This morning. I convened a cabinet meeting to inform my colleagues of Jody's departure. Minister Sajan has immediately taken over Jody's responsibilities as acting minister of Veterans Affairs.
2: Fuck him. Did you hear that? Did you hear that, like, smug, smarmy, imperious, Laurentian asshole? That fucking <laughs> that patronizing. Uh, frankly, it was up to Jody to tell me if she was upset. When we applied pressure to her and told her she wasn't a team player, and then when she actually had some principles, we fired her and demoted her embarrassingly, Uh, she should have told me she was upset. How dare she? Like, this is what's going to matter. I've never said, fuck that guy before. I've had criticism for Trudeau. I've had a laugh at his expense. But I've never thought, fuck you, man. I feel that way now. Like, I, I feel like this is actually surprising. This is a scandal because it actually upsets his brand. And isn't it kind of perfect that all of his posturing, gender balanced cabinet, reconciliation, giving an indigenous minister real power, that's what undoes him here. That it was all bullshit. He didn't give her real power. She didn't have real independence. And the gender balance was just tokenism. That's what's getting revealed here, is that if you're not with the family compact here, then you're yesterday's news.
0: I think that's, that's basically what happened here. We have a young indigenous person who, who writes for us. And recently he sent us an article where we just, we had to stop him and be like, are you sure you want to publish this? Are you serious? This could harm your relationship in the community. And it was largely because his sentiments were around the fact that he was tired of all the big announcements that don't actually do anything. He was like, every day in school, all I learn about is indigenous issues. That's what I learn about. I learn about it more than I think I should normally learn about it. But while I'm learning about this, there are people in my community who literally do not have drinking water. I don't give a shit about what you're teaching me in school. This isn't a real thing that is helping the people who are literally not having the resources to survive. I need you to take these issues seriously. The social issues, the cultural issues, they're important, but you can't use those cultural issues to sidestep the need of real resources right? Like you need these things to actually be worked out. And I think a lot of people in the indigenous community have been getting that feeling more and more that they will give us these announcements that sound good, but in reality, the the, the net resources that we get won't be enough to help solve these problems. And they are some very serious
2: problems. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't agree that there's a, such a hard distinction between the social issues and the practical uh, infrastructure issues. I think it's all of a piece. Like, and we can walk and chew gum at the same time, but I absolutely agree that it's much easier to pay lip service to one than to do something about the other. I mean, look at the shit that's happening here. Like, Trudeau taking that tone, a high-handed tone, while meanwhile his fucking people are leaking out to the Canadian press Character assassination, whisper campaign against Jody Wilson-Raybaud. Oh, she's she's difficult. She, she's been a thorn to the side of cabinets. She's known to berate fellow members uh, at the table. And listen, I'm calling her Jody again mm-hmm. and again. I mean, like, what the fuck? This is what's going to actually hurt him. This is actually, like, if it sticks, it's this.
0: I mean, I also, like, I still also do keep friends with a lot of, of liberal people just because in my younger days I was fairly left-wing. And... The most interesting thing that I've been able to see is, is how they slowly transitioned their opinion as the case came out. You know, it came out, they were like, oh, this means nothing, blah, 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 blah. And it was, it was the prime minister's announcement yesterday alongside the statements made by Wilson Raybould's father that kind yeah. of set them off. They were like, wow.
1: When uh, Jody was kicked in the teeth by the prime minister and shuffled down to Veterans Affairs, as important as it is, You know, that was a clear slap in the face for all Indians across the country. Uh, She was demoted to this, I think, the only thing lower than Indian, or lower than uh, Veterans Affairs is Indian Affairs. And so uh, for all Indians across the country, that was uh, a a real slight. And I I had sort of expected her to resign at that, because I'm a bit more pig-headed than she is, obviously. Uh...
0: That kind of... Rhetoric, it it says a lot with what the relationship between Jody Wilson-Raybould and the Prime Minister could be just because, you know, you tell your dad a lot of things. And uh, Jody also retweeted her father's statements uh, on Twitter yesterday. So that's why I also think- There's more of a chance. She's a bit
2: handcuffed in what she can say, and she's trying to get some clarity as to how much insight she can provide. But meanwhile, the fact that that her father said that and that she retweeted it tells you, you know, and look, all of this was out there. Like she said earlier uh, comments about political interference. She has been saying from her position in cabinet that reconciliation, there needs to be like action and not just words. So like, oh, I'm sure she's difficult if you're in the PMO. Uh, But you know what? If you like hire real people, they do real things, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's surprising uh, for sure, and I think it's also worthwhile to note that I think a majority of the demotions and and the transfers that have happened have predominantly affected people who are minorities and women, and I think just these small things come election time are going to serve as the best sound bites to de-energize or or lower the energy of the liberal base. I don't think the conservatives have built you know their their base. Anywhere bigger than it was under Harper and with Bernier here, it's it's a fair argument to say that they have a smaller base than ever. But these sound clips could really go towards separating that liberal base come election time, even if the prime minister survives this entire scandal.
2: Yeah, which you will, because you guys don't have a good alternative. <laughs> Ali, like I had James Wilt on, uber lefty, wouldn't fight with me. I have you on now. I can't get a fight. Am I that agreeable? Am I that correct about everything that nobody in this country will fight with me? What the fuck is going on? Thank you. It was I enjoyed talking with you. Maybe you'll come back and fight with me sometime. Maybe. Maybe. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Ali Tagovit, where can people find you?
0: On my website, the postmillennial.com or the nectarine.ca or on Facebook.
2: We have a website, it's canadalandshow.com There's wonderful stuff to read there, original journalism every week. There's a new episode of Oppo out this week, in which Justin Ling and Jen Gerson chew over the finer points of the political implications of the scandal, with more depth and you know, research than I can provide on the politics. This episode's produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do here, go to Patreon.com slash Canada land and support us, you will get ad free versions of all of our podcasts if you give us five bucks a month or more. Please do. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com
1: slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case